Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today for part two on 10 Lessons About Managing Money. Uh, Well, let me give you the first three, and then we'll go on with four today. But I want you to know that God owns it all. Yeah, He owns it all. He may let us use it for a little while, but His name is on the deed. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills too. So remember, as you go about your life, that everything you have is only temporarily assigned to you. And I think about all the possessions that I have, they're going to be left behind. When I leave this world, everything I have is left behind because I don't own it in the first place. God owns it all. Number two, we learned that greed is deadly. We learned the fact that greed can actually allow our brains to be rewired. And a greedy person will tend to be one who is driven toward more depression, more anger, more outbursts, all because of greed. Ah, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, said Paul to young Timothy. Greed can be deadly in your life, so don't be a greedy person. If you want to live in financial freedom, remember God owns it all, that greed is deadly. And then number three, I've got to manage my debt. Paul says, don't let any debt remain outstanding. Now, that doesn't mean we don't borrow money. It means that when we do borrow money, we pay it back and we pay it back under the terms that we agreed to. Now, there is one debt that Paul says you can allow that debt to remain. That is an ongoing debt. That is loving one another. You know, you're never going to repay back the love that was given to you. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. I think about the tremendous investment that my mom and dad made in us kids. There were six of us kids, and My dad worked full-time, and then my mom was a full-time home giver and homemaker, and um, somehow we survived. Somehow we made it. Uh, They made tremendous sacrifices. So anytime that my mom needs anything, I don't care what it is, I'm going to provide for it because I feel like I have this outstanding, continuing debt to her because what she has done for me. That ought to be our understanding of God, that no matter how much we give back to Him, We're only giving to him what he already owns. We're only giving back to him a debt of love that we can never repay. When it comes to this matter of debt, managing our debt, the rich rule over the poor, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So be set free. Pay back your debts. Manage your debts. Number four. Live on the 80-10-10 plan. Now, the 80-10-10 plan is this. I am going to live on 80% of my income. I'm going to save 10%, and I'm going to give 10%. Now, the Bible is very clear. Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men put into your bosom. So, Be generous in giving. Be consistent in saving and live on 80%. Now, as we look at this, the matter of giving, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. 
not with reluctance or not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there is a correlation here between how we sow and how we reap and how we give and how we receive. God wants us to give with a cheerful heart, not because we're forced to give. God loves a cheerful giver. God looks at our giving that it should be generous. It should not be under compulsion, but it should be generous as we pray about what we should give to God or give back to God. Now, remember what the book of Ecclesiastes says. In Ecclesiastes 11, it talks about this matter of giving and receiving, the laws of sowing and reaping. Ecclesiastes verse number one of chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you find it after many days. In other words, cast it out, like casting out a net, put your bread on the water, and what's going to happen? It's going to multiply. You will find it many days. Give a portion to it, and even to eight, for you know that disaster may not happen on the earth. So as you're giving here, it talks about the protection that you receive because you're given. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where it falls, the tree lies, there it will lie. So Solomon is just setting up the mindset that when the clouds become full of rain, they're going to empty themselves. So when we're generous, we're going to receive back that generosity. And he says, as a tree falls, it's going to lie there. So as we look at where we lie our investments in, that's where they're going to be. Verse number four, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know what will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. Now, this may sound a little complicated as we're reading the words of Solomon, but he's just reminding us of things that we kind of already know. He's reminding us in verse number four, that you should go to work whether the weather is good or whether the weather is bad. He's reminding the farmer knows that I've got to sometimes sow when the weather is not ideal, but I've got to get those crops I've got to get the seed into the ground. I may not want to do it because it's too cold or too hot or too windy, but it's got to be done. You see, you're not going to reap a harvest unless you first plant some seeds. And then he says, you know, we don't know a whole lot of things about the birthing process. Oh, we know what happens in the birthing process, but it's God who brings about that birth. It's God who brings about that life. And he says, even when it comes to this matter, going back to the farming illustration, you sow your seed, and you're not sure exactly how that happens, but you are not going to give up, right? You're not just going to sow the seed and walk away from it. You're going to continue working. You're going to put fertilizer. You're going to make sure the field is watered. You're going to make sure that the nutrients are right. You're going to keep working, even though you've already sown that seed, and then you will find that you will prosper. Because what you're doing is you're eliminating things that would cause that crop to malfunction or not fully produce. You're giving what it needs to be healthy. And as a result, you have a return on your investment. Now, when I look at where we are in America, 
For years, Americans were very slow at saving money. But now we've seen a change, a slight change, in that now many Americans realize that it's so important to set a little money aside. Now, on the first day of the week, Paul said to the Corinthian believers, you have to set a little money aside for giving. So you set a little money aside for saving, some for giving, and then you live on the 80%. Now, I want to encourage you in the matter of generosity. I have yet to meet, I've never met a person who said, you know, the reason I'm having such a financial difficulty right now is because I'm so generous. I've never met that person. Everyone that I have met that is in financial dire straits, right? And I put myself in that whole situation. You know, I was in bad financial shape when I was not giving as I knew God wanted me to give. But when it comes to generosity, think about the United States. Who are the most generous givers? As a nation, America tops the charts. And I think this is one of the main reasons God has continued to bless our country in spite of the really moral decline that we have seen. The three most charitable cities in America are all in Idaho. On average, practicing Christians, those who live in Idaho cities, gave $17,000 last year, giving toward charitable entities. Now, that beats out most major cities. You would think the bigger the city, the more you'd have people practicing charity because they make more. But generosity has nothing to do with how much money you make. As a matter of fact, these three cities are giving $17,977, beats out the giving of people in New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago. Their average was only $3,308 per person per year. Now, age also makes a big difference in giving. 84% of millennials give less than $50 to charity a year. As you look at those who are older, they give more generously. Now, today, the average church attender only gives about 2.5% of his or her annual income. But during the Great Depression, that number was at 3.3%. 37% of those who consider themselves evangelical Christians don't give at all to their church. Only 2.7% of evangelical Christians actually practice tithing. Now, what is so amazing to me is that with that low of a percentage, the church continues to survive and thrive. You see, I want you to know that the church doesn't need your money. God can raise up his church. With so many people not giving to the evangelical church, you would think that the church would be suffering. Now, the church is suffering in that God's people who are not giving generously often are not doing so because they're in financial bondage. They haven't learned to put the Lord first in their finances. And as a result, God is holding back a blessing on that person. You see, it is impacting the church, but they're hurting themselves more than anything else. You know, the Bible provides principles that can help us to live within our means. Here is just a few simple principles. Number one, have a plan. Have a budget. 
Figure out how to manage money effectively. You got to know how much money comes in and you got to track where it is going. You know, the same is true if you're going to lose weight. Most of us have no idea how many calories we actually consume in the course of a day. We think we consume much less than we actually do. The same is true with the matter of spending. Most of us spend much more money on things than we ever dreamed we spend. So avoid the temptation not to have a budget. Create a budget, create a plan, and then live within that plan. And number two, if you want to live within your means, avoid envy. You see, many in developing countries yearn for the things that the people of our nation have. And then they come here and they get it, and they discover it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Envy will cause you to buy things that you can't afford to impress people that don't even like you or care about you. Number three, keep your life simple. You see, many of the things that we have cluttering our homes are things that we really don't use or really don't need. So keep life simple. Find things that last for a long time and take care of them. You know, as you think about a simple life, a simple life is a godly life. Just taking things as he gives them to us. Not being attached to a whole lot of things, but keeping it simple. Number four, be content with what is really needed. I think about contentment. Paul says he had to learn how to be content. And he says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to therewith be content. So some people are not by nature more contented than others. It's just that some have learned to be content, while others never quite learn contentment. Well, how do you learn contentment? Is you just give thanks for everything that God has given to you. You thank Him for every blessing that comes your way, whether it be a few or whether it be literally hundreds of blessings. You said, okay, Lord, I'm content with what you have given me to eat. I'm content with the house that I live in. I'm content with the car that I'm driving. I'm content with the job that you have given me. You know, you can find joy in just about any situation if you choose to. So learn the art of being contented. Next, avoid unnecessary debt. As a matter of fact, as a rule of thumb, I would say that it'd be wisest for you to live your life in such a way that you only go into debt for things that appreciate in value, not things that depreciate in value. There's so many things that we get that are consumables, right? Uh, So you shouldn't go into debt for things that you're going to consume. If you're living on your credit card to pay your groceries, you're in a financially difficult position. You need to find something that you can cut out so that you can pay for your groceries, not on a credit card, but pay cash or pay through your debit. Avoid unnecessary debt. You see, debt is this weight that's on your back. And when we look at debt, only go into debt for things that appreciate. Now, a college education is a good investment. But even with that, be careful that you're not going to get in over your head. Now, if you're paying for a college education and you're going into a career that is going to pay $25,000 a year, You have no business going into debt for $250,000 to go take a job at $25,000 a year. That is very poor stewardship. That is unnecessary debt. So when we look at going to college, listen, I think college is great, but it's not for everybody. 
If you are a person that is given much more toward technology and, and working with your hands, then go to a technical school. Don't waste money on a four-year education because that's not going to help you in the end. Now, I'm a big proponent of college education. Don't take me wrong. But not everybody needs to go to college. Not everybody should go to college. Listen, there is a wide opening opportunities within the trades field. And we need those who are working in the trades. They're making good money working a trade. You know, there's two ways to make money. You're either going to use your mind or you're going to use your hands. And if God gave you a great mind and you can use your mind, then great. By all means, use it. But I think a lot of us, God has given us a talent with our hands, some kind of a trade, an electrician, a care provider, a server. As you look at this, this is how God has wired us. Here is something else. If you want to live and you want to be on a plan that God blesses you, you've got to be able to look at your life and say, before I buy something, I should save up the money. And when I have the money, then I should buy it. I bought a new car when I was 18 years old. And I went into debt to buy that car. And then I totaled that car. And then I owed more money on that car than the insurance would pay. So I guess you could say I was paying for a dead horse, right? I learned a valuable lesson when I did that. I said, you know, I'm never going to buy another car if I have to go in debt to buy it. So for the last 35 years, I have always drove used cars, and I'd save up my money thinking, okay, uh, the old minivan's got 300,000 miles on it. Uh, it might be time for me to get ready to get another one. And so I, I'd save my money, and uh, whatever money I had saved, that would dictate the vehicle that I would buy. And uh, the whole time I'm doing this, I said, you know, one of these days I'd like to buy a new car, but I don't know how long it would take me to save up enough money to buy a new car. Well, I, I just this last year bought a brand new vehicle and was able to pay cash for it. Now, I want you to know, it only took me 30 years to save up enough money to buy that vehicle. I just put a little bit away and put a little bit away and I was able to do that. You know, it's great being able to drive a car that is paid for and be able to realize I don't owe anything, and if things go bad financially, at least I still have my transportation in place. So save up money before buying. Well, we've learned some valuable lessons. We've learned that God owns it all. We've learned that greed is deadly. We've learned to manage our debt. We've learned to live on the 80-10-10 plan. And then number five, if at all possible, avoid bankruptcy. You know, for those considering just walking away from a mortgage they can't afford or tremendous debt they can't afford. Now, I think that sometimes you have no option other than to declare bankruptcy. But if at all possible, uh, let's try to avoid that. Psalm 37 2 might be seen as giving us some stern guidance, right? He said, the wicked borrows and doesn't pay back, but the righteous is gracious, and gives. Now, although the Bible doesn't address bankruptcy per se, we do have some principles that might apply and therefore help us to make some really solid judgments, okay? Here's the first biblical principle when it comes to this matter of avoiding bankruptcy. You see, we have the responsibility to keep our promises and to pay what we owe. Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 5 says, When you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it. 
for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. So here's the principle, is that when we make a commitment as believers in Christ, we're to keep that commitment, not just with matters of paying back a debt, but even matters of you tell somebody you're going to do something, well, by golly, go ahead and do it, right? Don't tell them they're going to do something, then don't do it. We are to make a vow, and it's better to not make a vow than make a vow and not pay. So that's the first principle. The second principle is that living on credit and not paying back what we owe is really a character trait. Now, I know this is going to sting a little bit, but it's a character trait of the wicked. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrows and doesn't repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. So Christians have no business behaving in the same manner as the wicked. It is proper for a Christian to go into debt. That's fine. But we cannot find a quick fix solution to get out of a debt that we agreed to pay. So based on these verses, it ought to be very rare that a Christian would declare bankruptcy because a Christian is obligated to pay what he has agreed to pay on the original terms of that agreement. It may mean a change of lifestyle. It may mean a a radical revision of the budget. But the good stewardship of money is part of living a godly life. Now, there are certain types of bankruptcy which are designed to kind of postpone repayment. And um, years ago, I worked with a company. It was a Christian-based company. and, And they went through a repayment plan because they had found themselves uh, through some some major changes in the company and the economy, found themselves in a, in a difficult situation. Well, uh, they did a restructuring plan where the uh, uh, they were protected for an extended time on debt, and then they restructured some debt, and then they later paid it back. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, tenets of that plan was that those who worked for that company were going to take a 10% across-the-board pay cut. So the salesman lost 10% of their salary. They lost 10% of their commissions. So we were given an option. Either we could you know, quit and uh, try to go get unemployment, or we could take a cross-the-board 10% cut. Now, nobody that I know of quit because of that. We all agreed to take our 10% cut to help the company, and that went on for a couple of years. And I want you to know that that company paid back all of that debt. Now, five or six years after I left that company, I received a letter from an attorney's office, and there was uh, going to be a series of checks that were going to be sent to me as a repayment for that 10%. So I also got that 10% back, and then they paid interest on that 10% back to me. So that was a restructuring plan. So there are certain types of bankruptcies that are designed to postpone repayment rather than evade it. So when we look at this thing, we've got to remember, there is no get-rich-quick schemes. You know, you think, well, if I just won the lottery, we said it often, right? Man, if I just won the lottery, that would take care of all my problems, my financial problems. But no, it won't. I want you to join me in the beginning of the broadcast tomorrow, because I'm going to tell you what happens to most lottery winners. 
And uh, it is amazing when you think about this. You wouldn't think it would happen, but there's something that happens to most lottery winners. So join me tomorrow in the broadcast, and we'll dive into that subject as we continue on with lessons about managing money. Well, if I can pray for you, maybe you're going through a hard time financially. Well, I may not have the money to bail you out of that situation, but I can certainly pray for God's wisdom. I can pray for God's guidance. Maybe you're going through a difficult time in your family and you just need somebody to pray for you. You know, it'd be my highest honor to pray for you. I often get emails. I often get text messages asking people to pray. And so I have a group of about 20 people that are my my prayer warriors. And they, uh, with your permission, we pray for each person who submits a prayer request. And we, we pray together as a body of Christ. Maybe you need a touch from heaven today. Maybe you need to hear that that voice from God saying, hey, it's going to be all right, and I'm going to, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to abandon you at this time. And I know it may be, be looking bad, but I'm right there with you. It's so nice to know that we had the presence of God in our times of need. So, Lord, I pray for those who have listened to this broadcast, that you fill them with your spirit, that you encourage them, that you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that number one more time, if you'd like to shoot me a prayer request, 252-267-2365. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.